Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 183. Logic will get you from A to B, but imagination will take you everywhere. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I'm so excited to introduce a very special guest, Adam Martin. Adam, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Buckled in and ready to rock and roll, Mark. <laughs> All right. I love the enthusiasm. Adam Martin is the vice president of the Haggerty Institute for Collector Vehicles, Business Development, and Automotive Data and Intelligence. He's an overachieving classic car enthusiast affectionately known as Enthusi-I-Adam. Get it? Enthusiadam. I love it. He's an executive <laughs> committee member of the Checkered Flag 200 Club at the Peterson Museum. And recently, Adam and Lucy, his beloved 1968 Camaro Sport Coupe, were featured in a video on Petrolicious, where you can enjoy Adam's longtime passion and enthusiasm for the collector car hobby. So, Adam, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share some more about your history, your career, your interest, and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Sure, I'd be happy to. It's a, it's a fun journey uh, when you're a car guy. It's... Um, it's that perfect windy, twisty road with a couple of um, straightaways and hairpins, <laughs> and uh, it, it's it's been a treat. So, I grew up in Bloomington, Minnesota, a suburb of Minneapolis, where street rods were a big, important sort of feature automobile. Oh, there, yeah, Minnesota is the home of the Minnesota Street Rod Association, and they have a a particular car show every year that brings in 10,000 or more hot rods over the course of a weekend. And that was certainly an inspirational event that I would always look forward to every year. As you know, I'm talking, I'm six, seven, eight years old. My dad was a car guy. All of my neighborhood friends were car guys. And at that age, you walk around this car show and I wasn't calling out Corvettes from Mustangs. I just knew that they were, these were objects that we got to go driving in and we went from A to B, but yet these objects at this show were red, they were yellow, they had their <laughs> roofs cut off, I yeah. mean, flame paint jobs. I mean, it was, it was really cool. So I think that, that anchored that there was something 
unique, artistic about the automobiles. And I think that that laid laid always in my subconscious. And then, you know, growing up, all my neighborhood friends were car guys. Their dads were car guys. So there was always a weekend project in someone's garage or sometimes a weeknight project. That automotive background always helped my Boy Scout Pinewood Derby car, let's just say. <laughs> I'll bet. I, I, always, I always had the fastest car, so I was proud of that. You know, having a very supportive network neighborhood was really exciting. I mean, I, I played sports in high school and stuff, but really I was kind of like uh, the gearhead and was always always building something. And that's um, that's where I bought my Camaro. Lucy, as you mentioned in the Petrolicious video, I bought that when I was 16. Wow. And the goal, of course, my dad being a car guy, we, we wanted to buy it before I turned 16, restore it in the garage, do our thing. Well, timing just didn't work out. I ended up buying it on my own at 16, and then it became like my my rolling restoration, my active <laughs> driver slash restoration project. And I, I'm sure there's a number of us who've had those oh, <laughs> in our garages. Yeah. Buying my Camaro at 16 was a lesson all by itself. And if I, if I could, I would maybe go back and buy a different car. Because like I said, I grew up in Minnesota, and I bought – the third car I looked at, and I should have kept looking, but you know what? Mm. The deal was right. I think looking back, I know why the deal was right because it was halfway tore apart. There was rattle can primer spots on the exterior. There wasn't a hint of original color. The interior was half stripped out. It had the big, awesome, audacious Krager mags, and it had the horrible rake you know, stance to it with air shocks in the rear end. I oh, mean, gosh. you're probably getting a horrible visual, but that was my diamond in the rough. And I thought, I can I can take and do something with this. And, well, I didn't know well enough to, like, really poke around the floorboards to see, look for rust in the trunk and areas, you know, critical areas. But nonetheless, bought it, drove it home. The speedometer cable broke on the way home. You know, oh, gosh. You know <laughs> that doesn't really inspire uh, confidence when you buy an old car, but I think worse things could happen to people. But got it home, uh, really threw myself at it, taught myself a lot of things about body work and engine building. And, and, and that, you know, having that responsibility in the garage, it clicks. It gets you a little bit more engaged. You've got some ownership and responsibility. So then I started taking more cl- auto shop classes in high school. And then in high school, I had the option to go off campus and go to the local trade school and take an automotive machinist course and actually build engines and oh, nice. go through you know oh, nice. machining, the balancing and blueprinting and you know flow benching, you know heads and and die grinding on around the valve seats. Like I got. I got a really good education because I had an application for it. I, mm. I had the car in the garage mm. that needed some love and attention. That was a real pivotal moment for me to have that experience. And then that translates into what am I going to do after high school and college? Just I don't want to do a bunch of book work. It doesn't sound like fun. I like working in the garage. Mm-hmm. But I tell you what, I was anxious. I almost had a nervous breakdown at 18. Like, I don't want to, you know, I should go to college. That's what the world wants you to do, right? Mm -hmm. But I kind of like cars. I was at the edge of the cliff and didn't know what to do. And towards the end of senior year, I had a a good friend introduce me to a shop owner who owned a little three-bay gas station, a little service station. And he offered me a job as a mechanic to do, you know, lube oil filters, service, tune-ups, just entry-level mechanic work. And I thought, you know what? Okay. Worked there in that mechanic shop 
had a great, great real world education in terms of um, what it takes to, to put in an eight hour day at a service station. What are the expectations? What are your timelines? How do you, um, as a technician, how do you manage your time to be profitable for that business owner? How do you put cash in your pocket as a mechanic and, and so on? And, and it was a, it was a, I ended up being there about a year. Mm-hmm. And towards the end of that year or three quarters of the way through the year, I knew that new car technicians and, and the trade skills, I, I wasn't interested in. I mean, this is OBD1, OBD2 systems. It's more computer scanners and as great and handy and as nice as that stuff is, I wasn't motivated by it. I'd rather tune the Holley carburetor on my Camaro and <laughs> learn more about points and condensers and stuff. So a good friend of mine introduced me to McPherson College and said, hey, you know, here's this program that teaches automobile restoration in Kansas. And I, yeah. so I, I went to their website that night, found the pictures and the stories and the articles about the program. And I thought, this is exactly what I didn't know I was looking for. Yeah. And I ended up contacting the college, went down and um, took a tour of the program, loved what I saw down there. And uh, I, I instantly signed up and enrolled, enrolled the next spring. It was a remarkable college experience. And it was not the college I thought I didn't want, but I was now in the right frame of mind that I enjoyed the educational experience. I loved who I was, you know, working shoulder to shoulder with in, in the in the classroom as well as in the shop. And that is what provided me the internships, the automotive experiences that really built my career and platform at Haggerty and just me as a car guy and exploring my dreams and passions with cars. So I owe a a tremendous amount to McPherson College um, and the opportunities they provided me. And one of those major opportunities was the transition over to Haggerty. McKeel Haggerty, our CEO, was on the National Advisory Board of the Automotive Restoration Program at McPherson. And every year, McKeel and many other of the board members would come to campus. They would take time out of their board meetings to visit with students. Um, we'd go out to dinner. They'd walk through our classrooms. We would have discussions. And um, I always enjoyed McKeel. He was very inquisitive, wanted to know what we're up to, what our likes, our dislikes are, what we see the future of cars being like. I mean, he just always took the time and was very interested in us. And I, I felt very close and comfortable with him and, and really respected him for that. During um, my school years at McPherson, I would take summer internships at various restoration uh, shops, and that would afford me the opportunity to go to uh, these certain concours, whether it was Pebble Beach or the Meadowbrook Concours in Detroit. And I would bump into McKeel or other representatives from Haggerty. And it was just you know, like, oh, my old friend McKeel, this is great. Good to see you again. And uh, after I had graduated McPherson, I was working at a shop back in Minneapolis where I was, where I would intern before and um, was going to uh, the Detroit Concours, uh, the Meadowbrook Concours. And um, I was kind of open and looking for new, a new business opportunity and bumped into McKeel and I had my resume with me there. And uh, uh, McKeel introduced me to a few other vice presidents that were there at, uh, at the Concours. And you know, fast forward, I was in Traverse City the next week, kind of on a on a job interview and a, and a scouting exposition because I've never been to northern Michigan. Traverse City uh, is where they're headquartered. Had a re- remarkable time, met some amazing people. And I thought I found something new and great and uh, ultimately took a took an opportunity to work with Haggerty. And um, that's been uh, 10 years ago, which I just can't believe. 
As we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote. And this is a saying or a mantra that's been important in your life. And it's a really great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So Adam, take the wheel. Sure. My uh, success quote, I um, I kind of bounce through these every now and again, and I came across um, a, a new one that I've really adopted lately. It's uh, by Albert Einstein, and he says, logic will get you from A to B, but imagination will take you everywhere. Oh, what a wonderful quote from him. <laughs> when you think about, <laughs> you know, you think of him being this logical guy, and but yes, imagination is so important. How have you incorporated that into your career? I'm uh, kind of like like you, Mark. I'm I'm very very logical, very structured. I I like organization and procedures, and I think that's really helped my insurance career because I like to check all the boxes. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So having the A to B figured out that really rang my bell, and I said yes, there is a logical order and sequence to things. That's just kind of how I'm wired. But I think being a car guy and an enthusiast and slash and I'm, with my background with restoring cars. It is an art form, and so you do have to think outside of the box. And so that the the word imagination was a nice trigger point for me as well to say you got to imagine, you've got to explore, you need to enjoy, you know, allow the structure to support you, but don't uh, don't forget to stop and smell the roses. So <laughs> absolutely. But I really enjoy Albert's quote. It means a lot to me. It is a great quote. You talked about growing up in a car family in a car environment. Is there one pivotal moment you can remember in your life when you really knew that Adam was a car guy? <laughs> Gosh, there's several. I mean, my dad was uh, an enthusiast. Uh, we, we had a little two-car detached garage, wooden garage in, in Minneapolis, and not a whole lot of working room. So, you know, the daily drivers sat outside, and the project cars got the whole garage to themselves. We had a CJ5 Jeep that we painted purple, uh, and we had big, big, giant mud tires on it, and it and it didn't have any doors, and that was that just blew my mind that we could drive a car with no doors. I thought that was absolutely fantastic. The CJ5 Jeep had uh, the instrument cluster was in the center of the dash, and a giant round speedometer. I thought that was fun because I got to look at it too. It wasn't like in front of the steering column for the driver. Mm-hmm. It was in the middle and I got to share that experience and I got to, you know, buckle in and we had the roll bars and, you know, V8 and, and um, headers and, you know, the standard four speed transmission, but we weren't going off roading with it. It was just kind of a nice Jeep to cruise around in. So that having no doors was crazy and, and, <laughs> and kind of anchored in. But I, I really remember my dad had a 61 um, Corvette. That uh, was, you know, Roman red, the white coves on the side. It was a fuel-injected four-speed car. I love the interior because it was like two two cockpits, the way the seats are. And they oh, had that yeah. interior molding. And there's that center console door that opened up. I thought, you know, what a cute, fun little door in between us. Like, mm-hmm. that's just neat. And I would put all, like, my Legos and my Hot Wheels in there. In the passenger seat of that Corvette, it had that grab bar, you know, it said Corvette in it. And that was like my, that was my job. It was my duty to sit in that passenger seat and like, hang on. (laughs) That was me in theoretically driving the car. My dad had the steering wheel, but I had this bar to hang on to. And so I think the, the experience of, you know, riding along, driving in, experiencing like just the momentum, the sound of the car, having fun with my dad, and um, and then later, all the other automotive experiences we had in the neighborhood. 
and stuff really just build onto one another. So I think those were two two great memories that really anchor in and today still kind of drive me to want to get out and drive cars. And that's, for me, one of the best ways to enjoy the hobby is to get out and drive with some friends. And what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl under the hood a bit and ask you to share with me a great challenge you face in your career, maybe even a great failure. But the most important part of this question comes in, how did you overcome that situation? And even more important, what did you learn from it? Good question. There's, there's a lot of challenges in the insurance world. I think I'll, I'll use this as a good example. Mm-hmm. Insurance is, um, for, for a lot of car guys, it's kind of the necessary evil. Oh, <laughs> it's yeah. The, it's the, the forgotten second check you've got to write after you buy a classic car. Mm-hmm. Is, oh, yeah, we got to get insurance. And so it never comes with a positive tone, and although you need it. And there's, there's a lot of good reasons why you need insurance. And in Haggerty, I was very proud to talk about the product because the, uh, the insurance product itself is guaranteed value, which helps classic car owners have a guaranteed insurance value on their classic car, whether it's a $10,000 car or a $10 million car, you know, you're going to be guaranteed that number. That for me, provide a lot of trust and a good concrete foundation that this is the best product that every car guy maybe not doesn't know they need to have. And I think I owe it to them to enlighten them, showcase the opportunity and provide them the chance to put this coverage on their car. And so that positive undertone and thought process really supported all the rejection mm-hmm. <laughs> that I that I would soon receive. Yeah. Um, but also the 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 acceptance that actually became greater than the rejection over the long haul of my career. And I sort of internally coined the phrase, you know, polite persistence. Mm-hmm. I'm here to provide opportunity and coverage to protect a family member mm-hmm. for a lot of people. You know, the, these, I mean, I named my car and a lot of people name their cars. This is important. And I'm in a, in a conversation role to um, answer questions and to articulate the opportunities and the benefits of an insurance product. And so I had to craft and build my dialogue and how I could help people. You know, I quickly learned that this is a delicate playing field and that people are are honest and they'll tell you what their needs are. They'll tell you they're not ready yet. And you just have to accept that, enjoy it, and apply that polite persistence. And in this hobby and in this business, I've made some great friends and stay in touch with them more frequently than than any business need would require. But I look forward to talking to them. And I think I really... I really owe it all to just having that confidence in the product and that notion that, you know, just polite persistence is going to get me where I need to go. Yeah, yes, absolutely. How about let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. And I'd love for you to share an aha moment, that time when you realized that, yeah, I think this is really going to work. This is going to take me someplace. And, and tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into your success. I've got one sort of fun aha moment that I, I really enjoy and, and, I got involved with the Checkered Flag 200 Car Club, which is a a car club that supports the Peterson Automotive Museum. I like that the club supported uh, an institution that that really kind of uh, reinforced uh, some personal goals of my own. So I I love the club. And uh, soon sort of my enthusiasm kind of came out and I got got elected to to join the executive committee. I think I was a little outspoken and uh, uh, too much uh, in a good way. 
and and soon learned the inner workings of the club and uh, what it actually takes to run a successful club and the organization, the communication, the events um, that support a club and support the engagement of the club. And I um, I saw an opportunity where Bruce Meyer, our club president, had been hosting these annual garage tours. Every year, the checkered flag would get out of Los Angeles, and we'd go to a different city, and we'd we'd visit the private collections of different car owners. And I just saw it as like a blast, like fun. We're going to go to Chicago, and we're going to go see eight private car collections. I'm going to do yeah. it with you know, 100 of my close friends. Like, sign me up. Mm-hmm. So. I realized that, you know, Bruce, Bruce could use some help. I mean, he's running the show. He's got a lot of pet projects that he's working on. And, and I, I personally enjoy, like, organizing events. And, and uh, I, I sort of put my, my chips on the table and offered to, to support Bruce on this. And um, he said, sure, absolutely. Let's build this together. And so I built my first uh, garage tour. And we went to Phoenix, Arizona. And we had 10 private collections over two and a half days uh, of experiences, and I booked the hotels, and I booked the restaurants, and I chartered the two buses that we would need to move everybody around, and I, I set up all the collection tours and in a logical map order. You know, this is getting back to the A to B side of me. Yeah, and we got got it all mapped out, and and it was an outstanding success. All of our garage hosts love having the group of enthusiastic people come come and visit their collections and. Really, it was the excuse that everyone always has. You know, we see people see our friends at car shows and we always say, well, next time you're in town, please stop by and say hi. Well, this garage tour was that excuse, you know, multiplied by 120 people. Now we all get to go. And I realized that, hey, this is a lot of fun. This is I can do this. Producing these events, getting people together, motiv- you know, providing that excuse to go see their friends, uh, that, that's really an aha moment and something that I enjoy doing and, and, see, and seek a lot of pleasure from doing. So sounds, I can't wait to more. Sounds wonderful. How about <laughs> proudest business or career moments? Is there, I'm sure you had so many. You even mentioned a few there. But is there one in particular that stands out for you? Yeah, there's, there's a number that stand out. If I look back at my role with Haggerty, I was in charge of our private client services department, and that manages a lot. A lot of our highly valuable collections could be, you know, you have a hundred cars in your collection, or you have ten cars in your collection. But if the value is over a certain dollar amount, you've got different insurance needs, and there's different underwriting criteria that we have to apply in order to provide coverage for you. So it's not a, a slam dunk every single time. There's a little more time involved in, in bringing on board a new piece of business. And so that environment was was challenging and both exciting. And like I said, I had to employ my my polite persistence acumen. Internal drive said, I, you know, what are my goals? You know, I had goals every year that I had to achieve, a sales goal or what have you. But like the big out, you know, BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goal mm-hmm. that I was striving for was that, you know, that million dollar mark worth of premium that I brought in, not like million dollars worth of cars that I insure, but like, you know, people sending in checks and counting them and seeing that million dollar mark that 
that starting out my career, that seems so far off. It takes a while and you have to be diligent with it. And to put that $1 million sort of BHAG out there was, was, a, was a challenge. I don't know when I was going to earn it, but I, I threw it out there as a stake in the ground to aim for. Mm-hmm. Just a little over five years it took me to get to that point. By then, I really hit my stride. It was just rewarding and it felt great. And I'm really proud that I had a great mentor uh, within Haggerty and great leadership support to, to even think of this BHAG, to throw it out there and think that it was achievable. So that, that for me was a great pivotal milestone to hit uh, with my sort of sales career. Congratulations. That's wonderful. <laughs> Thank let's, you. Now, I think I already know the answer to this, but let's have a little bit of fun. You mentioned Lucy, but what was your first really special car? Was it Lucy? Yeah, I uh she's getting a lot of attention. Lucy's my only my only car in the garage right now, which um is is a good and a bad thing. Uh being a perfectionist and and uh, being in my my role and even with your role Mark, I mean, we get to see and experience a lot of different cars. So my tastes and my needs really kind of went gangbusters. I don't know how I'm going to be able to reel back in what reality is for me and what I actually can afford and put in my garage. So um, I'm trying to stay small and focus on on Lucy, which is my 68 Camaro. And this is the car that I bought when I was 16. And um, But I'm also – she's kind of abused a little bit. I haven't touched her since I put like the paint job in it in my garage when I was you know, 17, 18. And – it's kind of funny. I've had some people comment and say, man, what great original paint. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking, oh, if you only knew, this is my horrible paint job from the, the garage in a Minnesota winter. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and it's it's also somewhat flattering to have someone say it's great original paint. But I, I know the real secret that it's my horrible paint job aging poorly. <laughs> now, here's a fun question for you, Adam. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? Great question. <laughs> I um, being in the car business and going to concours, being able to to do some driving tours and and get some exposure. I've I've really fallen in love with with British cars. Mm. <laughs> and, and don't hate me for that. No, not at all. <laughs> they they are they're fun. I love the switches and dials and the Rube Goldberg methodology to make things run. I think it's my McPherson College background and, and kind of enjoying the mechanical nature of objects and, and, the, and the evolution of mechanical design for cars and, and why do they think of doing it this way and that. And I think British cars exemplify out-of-the-box thinking when it comes to making a car work. And so yeah. I love the British car world. And then when I have to narrow it down to something I love, I'm an Aston Martin DB4, DB5 enthusiast. I just think that that car has all kinds of class and design and, you know, healthy engineering underneath. It was a proven performer. And uh, who doesn't have a little James Bond in them um, at some point? <laughs> Absolutely. And I, yeah, I just think that's a an absolute fun car. I've had a chance to drive a few of them. And, you know, I feel at home in the car. And that may sound weird, but I, I think you uh, when you get behind the wheel of a new car or experience something, you know, some fit better than others. And I... You know, I really feel like uh, like like who I really am behind the wheel of a DB4. So that's um that's one of those cars I aspire for, and it, it's my BHAG. You know, yeah. it's the next car I've got to aim for. 
um, and have in my collection someday. It really means a lot to me. You know, it's funny. I've had uh, a couple guests on the show recently who selected those cars. I had uh, Michael Dervier, who's the chairman of the La Jolla Concorde, just south of you there in La Jolla that's coming up this year. And his selection there for if he was a car was a DB2. And then I just had a guest on who runs a club called the Secret Car Club down in Rancho Santa Fe, just south of you. Yeah. Chris Erickson, and his was a DB4. So uh, interesting. I've had a bunch of uh, Brits, wannabe Brits on the show here recently. So very cool. So Adam, we're entering the last lap, and this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? I am ready. Let's do this. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? I would say documentation, document, document. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Especially with taking things apart, man. I have I have been left with a box of parts and man, it just it's a head scratcher. Yeah, so. where does that nut go? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> You'll find out when you drive down the road and the wheel falls off. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your successes? Yeah, one of my personal habits is in, is my name is like enthusiasm. I love I, that. <laughs> I just uh, a coworker of mine shared that with me, and I think it means a lot when you can bring enthusiasm to what you do. And you do, Adam. You're one of the, one of the most enthusiastic guys I know. I think it's fantastic. <laughs> I know there are lots of resources out there today, especially with the websites. But is there one in particular you think could be really valuable to our listeners? Yeah, I think everyone should be informed about the market value of their cars and what they're worth. Mm -hmm. And com slash valuation tools is a platform that shows great information about the values of classic cars in the overall market. It is a fantastic resource. It's just amazing. I don't know how you guys do what you do with that, but it is, <laughs> it is very cool. And something that us collectors have needed for a long time to set a standard, if you will, of where we really, everyone thinks their stuff's worth more than it is most <laughs> of the time, but the way the market's going these days, I just checked my car the other day and I went, oh, oh, I need to call, uh, I need to call Haggerty and, and up my premium. Would you share a book, just one book that you've enjoyed in the past that you think our listeners should get their hands on? Yeah, I'm, I'm an avid reader and I came across this book um, called American Icon by Bryce uh, Hoffman and it chronicles Alan Mulally becoming the new CEO of Ford. This is in 2006, 2007. And I think it, um, it's, it, it's a great novel to talk about automobiles, talks about automotive business, and that um, business development world that I kind of enjoy. I think it's a real inspirational book. That's a real fun and easy read. Oh, great, great recommendation. I appreciate that. Well, I'll remind our listeners, you can find these resources at carsyad.com slash Adam Martin. Just put Adam in the search box and his show notes page will pop right up. All right, Adam, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy. I'm real interested to see how you answer this one. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, but money's no object, I'm going to buy you whatever you want today. And I'll even throw in some insurance with Haggerty. How's that? <laughs> I love it. I'll take you up on that. All right. What would that vehicle be and why? Sure. Well, you, you said my I think my second favorite car here, and that's a doozy, a Duesenberg. Mm -hmm. I had I had some time working with Randy Ema on Duesenbergs, oh, and I, yeah. I definitely have an affinity and respect for that automobile, and I think I will own one of those in my future. But if you have to narrow it down to one, I'm going back to my British car phase, and I'm a Jaguar D-Type fan. Ah. I think that car sets a standard 
for me that I really aspire to. I, I, um, my, in addition to my family's being a little bit of car guys, a lot of my family members were pilots, whether commercial pilots or private pilots. Oh, wow. I like that aviation, vintage aviation world as well. And when I was, was offered the opportunity to, to go on a, a driving tour in a D-type, of course I said yes. Ooh. And then I got the chance to drive it. And when I kind of slipped into the envelope that is the driver compartment in a D-type, I instantly felt that connection and that 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 both sense of belonging mm-hmm. that here is this fighter pilot cockpit of an experience wrapped in a car like this is the best of both worlds for me I can't believe this is real and then to actually drive the car and experience it and uh, and and well for one it's a right hand drive car so that's a whole other world to get used to oh yeah and then to the power the disc brakes and then. I later met Norman Dewis, the engineer and designer behind a lot of the, oh, the wonderful Jaguar racing cars. So I, I learned a lot about that car and really fell in love with a lot of what it represents and found a lot of meaning in that car for me. And, and being a driver and a person who wants to get out and you know drive across country rather than um, be at a Concours, this car checks all the boxes for me and then some. So that that's one car I know I could be happy with forever. Well, I would think so. And uh, the D-Type, <laughs> what a wonderful choice. Fantastic car. Adam, you've taken me on a great ride, a very enthusiastic ride as I knew you would today. And I've really enjoyed your stories and spending some time with you. And I want to thank you for all your time today. Would you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off down that road in that Jaguar D-Type? Of course, happy to. Mark, it's been a pleasure. I really always enjoy talking with you, and I appreciate the questions and the insights. For parting thoughts, for me, it's savoring every time you get behind the wheel of a classic car, turning off the cell phone and plugging into that experience and really taking stock of, of what you get to enjoy and sort of the opportunities you've earned in life to be able to focus time in a classic car. That really means a lot to me, and I think that will that will help carry our hobby forward and get new enthusiasts um, excited about it. Very well said. And what is the best way for our listeners to learn more about you, Adam, and the business in the Peterson Museum? Sure. I think the best way to find me would be through LinkedIn. You can search Adam M. Martin with Haggerty. You'll find me there. And as I mentioned before, a great automotive research tool um, is something I'm heavily involved with, and that is Haggerty's Price Guide, at uh, which can be found at haggerty.com slash valuation tools. And this brings a fresh um, perspective to the market so you know what your car is worth, so you know what you should go pay for something at auction. Or if you inherit your grandfather's Cadillac, you're going to know what it's worth and <laughs> how to take care of it properly. Absolutely. Well, again, listeners, you can find links to all of these great resources at carsyad.com slash Adam Martin. Adam, thank you for being so generous today with your time and your expertise, your enthusiasm, and for sharing your experiences with the Cars yeah audience and me. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. See you soon. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah. Yeah.